Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to open your word and to see its truth for our lives. Lord, I pray that you give me clarity this morning, that it would be accurate and according to your will. And God, I pray that as we go forth today into the new year, that we would be uh, marked by a particular passion for your word, that we would be men and women of the word of God. I praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys made it to the eve of 2024. Uh, I wasn't sure how many people were going to be here today, but I guess you got all your traveling, Christmas traveling done, and so it's really a joy to see who is all here. Um, I was looking for some sermon illustrations on the new year. I thought there's got to be some good, funny stories about the new year, but the more I looked, it was just kind of lame. Most New Year's resolutions are about losing weight and making more money. I was like, I don't really know what to do with that. So, I don't know. I don't have a good, I don't have a funny introduction for you, but I do have something uh, from God's Word, and I think it applies to the new year. And often when I think about New Year's resolutions, I think about, you know, these wishful goals for self-improvement and If you're like me, your New Year's resolutions are awfully made with any actual resolve or determination or firmness, which is really what that term means. But I think God's Word has three resolutions for us this morning, three resolutions that shouldn't be put in that same wishful category, like eating healthier, traveling more, making time for hobbies, or just be a better person. And so this morning, we are going to be in the book of Ezra. I invite you to turn to Ezra chapter 7. It's not a book that maybe you hear a lot of sermons out of, but there's really a particular verse in Ezra chapter 7 that I think has vast implications to our lives, as well as it did at that time. And while you're turning there, I want to set the stage for you. See, really, throughout the Old Testament... God is moving and working to coalesce a people for himself from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and to be the the people of Israel. When Scott was reading Exodus 12 uh, for communion, that's that's part of that that narrative of God forming a people for himself. They were supposed to be his special people, uh, a light to the nations from which the Messiah would come. But over and over and over again, what we see in Ezra, or what we see in the Old Testament, is is that Israel chooses everything else but the Lord. They reject the faithfulness of God for idols made by hand, for their own lusts. And this happens all throughout the Old Testament through, the, through Samuel and through the kings and the chronicles. And eventually the Lord has enough and he does what he said that he was going to do with disobedience and he raises up other nations to come in and judge Israel. First the Assyrian Empire, then the Babylonian Empire. In 548, God brought the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem, and they totally raised Jerusalem, the last remaining vessel of God-fearing worship, to the ground. The city's destroyed. The Temple of Solomon is demolished. The people are scattered and taken back to Babylon. People like Daniel and Ezekiel are taken back to be captives in Babylon. And for 70 years, this, is how, this would be their life. They would be estranged from their land, estranged from the Lord, and captives in Israel. And at the end of those 70 years, though, 
as prophesied by Jeremiah, God begins to restore his people back to himself. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are the account of God bringing his people back to himself. It's, uh, it's, it's written, Ezra and Nehemiah were written as really one book. Uh, that's how our earliest manuscripts are, and most likely written by the same author. And most scholars believe that it's Ezra who um, collects the material and writes Ezra and Nehemiah, and actually probably First and Second Chronicles as well. He actually has a pretty big impact in the Old Testament. The first half of this book, chapters 1 through 6, is all about God bringing the first group of people back. Under this guy named Zerubbabel. It's a really fun word to say. Faster and faster and faster. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. And what, that, what he does is he, God uses him to establish right worship, or correct and proper worship. And so they rebuild the temple. The second half of Ezra, chapter 7 through 10, is the second wave of exiles. And they return under Ezra. And God uses Ezra to establish right living. Right living. Uh, if you're a Bible nerd, the, there's actually a 59-year gap between chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra. And that's where the book of Esther fits in chronologically. See, Ezra is going to make it his life mission to teach the people of Israel the word of God. He, he knows and understands what Psalm 119 says, that how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. So I don't know where you all are at this morning, coming into 2024, in your walk with the Lord. Uh, but maybe you've stagnated. Perhaps you can relate to the people of Israel, and there's really been quite some time before the Word of God had really any impact on your life, personally. Maybe you come to church and to Sunday school, but personally, you really haven't been impacted by the Word of God. Or maybe you are faithfully following the Lord. And, but, but maybe you're weary coming in from 2023 and 2024 is right coming up and you're kind of, oh, got to go again. Well, friends, I believe that this text shows us a resolve, a true resolve, not, not a fake one that we make and don't keep. A true resolve for renewed and faithful life. And so my challenge for you this morning is that in 2024, we would be marked by a passion of the word of God, that we would be men and women of the word of God and be shaped and molded by the scriptures. So with that, look with me in Ezra chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to spend most of our time in verse 10. Now there's a lot of weird names here, and I'll probably mispronounce them, but pay attention because there's actually some that you might recognize. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zeriah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up to Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, 
he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. So just real quick, if you just think back through what we just read, what we learn about Ezra is that he is, uh, he is a Levite. He could, his family lineage goes all the way back to Aaron himself. And that's really remarkable because most people in this time don't have their genealogies anymore because it's all been, it's all been scrambled. They've all been scattered. We also see that he's a, he's a scribe, meaning that he had a particular skill and knowledge of the law of God, which also probably would have been a pretty rare thing at that time. To be a scribe is like to be a lawyer, but instead of specializing in the U.S. Constitution, he specialized in the scriptures, in the law. And so why is Ezra selected for this job? Verse 6 and 9 say that uh, the hand of God, or his providential power, is upon Ezra. And why is that the case? Well, I think verse 10 gives us the answer. Because verse 9 says, For the good hand of his God was on him. Verse 10 says, For, why is it on him? For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So what does it take for a, people, a wayward people to be restored and renewed back to the Lord? What might it take to continue, have continued fellowship with God in 2024? Friends, I, it is going to be the, a resolve to study, to obey, and to teach the word of God to others. And this morning I want us to see three resolutions for a faithful life. Nothing flashy here. It's right there in the text. Three resolutions for a faithful life. But before you can have these resolutions, you have to actually be resolved in your heart. And you see that with Ezra, that he had a resolute heart. It says there in the very first part of verse 10 that Ezra set his heart. The Christian Standard Bible says that he determined in his heart. This word means to stand firm, to make ready, to hold fast, to be permanent, to endure. It's a firm and lasting commitment. Ezra used this phrase earlier in chapter 3, verse 3, when they set the altar in place. They put this huge rock and they, it, it wasn't going to move. They set it in place. It's used of God himself and his creation, creating power in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 74, 16, it says, Yours is the day, yours is the night. You have established or set the heavens, the lights, and the sun. It's to be firmly fixed, to be resolute, immovable. We also see that it's not just this vague resolution, but he's resolved in his heart. And in the scriptures, when you see heart, especially in the Old Testament, it's referring to the inner man, the soul, the core of his being. Ezra was resolved to the very core of his being to do these three things. And we see this resolve also all throughout the scriptures and, and throughout church history as well. One of the, arguably one of the greatest Christian theologians to ever be raised on American soil is Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor, a missionary, a philosopher, a theologian, the president of Princeton for a short time. Uh, he was the lightning rod of the Great Awakening in the 1700s, one of the greatest revivals in America. And when he was, he also went to Yale at age 13, which kind of tells you his IQ probably. 
and got his master's by 18. And when he was 18, he went to be an interim pastor at a little Presbyterian church in New York or in New York City. And while he was there, he penned the first of his famous 70 resolutions. 70 resolutions to live your life by. I don't, don't think I can come up with 70, but he did. If you, want, if you want to feel very small as a Christian, read the 70 resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. It's, he is known for his unwavering, unwavering commitment to holiness. He wrote things like, like this one, resolved, never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what only depends to the glory of God. He writes other things about, about resolving to use every moment of his life for God's glory, to review daily how he used every moment of his life for God's glory. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, why would you use that illustration, Nate? I can't do anything with that. I'm not Jonathan Edwards, and you're not, and I'm not either. I'm not Ezra. But this is why I use that illustration. It's because of what Edwards writes in, before he writes his 70 resolutions, what he says um, in the introduction, in the preface, he writes this. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Edwards admits his own weakness and his inability to keep these resolutions on his own. And instead, what this shows is his total dependence on the grace of God for his obedience. So friends, when we talk about a resolution, it's not sheer willpower. It's not being superhuman. It is, in fact, totally trusting yourself to a faithful God who can do miraculous things in your life through his word. Psalm 73, 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. And he will act. Philippians 2 talks about how we, how we follow the Lord and obey him by the power that is working in us, by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord. So, okay, Ezra set his heart. He was resolved. But resolved to what? Well, he's resolved to study the word of God. He is resolved to study the word of God. To study here means to seek with care, to investigate, to be intent on. Ezra would agree with the psalmist again in 119 where it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And if you notice, Ezra doesn't commit himself to study great literary works by other God-fearers, though he most likely did. He doesn't set his heart to learn about the Bible. He set his heart to study the Bible for himself. Ezra is, in fact, ordering his life around the Scriptures because that he knows to be close to God is to be close to his word. And on the one hand, this makes sense. This resolution makes sense because Ezra is a scribe and a priest. His life does revolve around the study of the word of God. But remember, Ezra is living in wicked Babylon at the time. There is no temple. There is no way to worship God. There is very little manuscripts, most likely. It was likely a very difficult place to study the Word of God. But in spite of these hurdles, he remains resolute. Remember, the nation of Israel has not been living their lives in faithfulness to God. The influence of other nations has been strong, and they're a wayward people, and they need someone to guide them and to show them how to follow the Lord. 
And so Ezra makes it a priority. He reorders his priorities to follow the Lord through his word. Friends, if your life is out of order, or it doesn't seem like you have much of a relationship with the Lord, it might be that you've let other priorities crowd out your love for God's word, and you're not being shaped and molded by his word. So how can we, as Christians in 2023, going into 2024, be resolved to study the law of God? Many of you have well-oiled ways that you study the word of God, but here's just a few suggestions. Make a specific commitment to study the Bible. Make a specific commitment to study the Bible. I don't want you to leave here thinking, I should read my Bible more. We all know that we should be reading our Bible more. That commitment doesn't go anywhere. Instead, make a specific commitment on how you are going to study God's word. If you desire to regularly read your Bible in a year, then find a plan and stick with it. This is the Read Your Bible More sermon, by the way, as my old pastor used to always say. Find a plan and stick with it. The ESV app has lots of really cool plans. Their website has lots of good plans. Every year, Tim Challies, a famous blogger that many of you read, puts out plans that he really likes. Ligonier Ministries always puts out lots of plans. We usually have plans in the Resource Center. Find a plan, but more importantly, stick with it. And stick with it when you get behind. Even if you forget for a month, pick it back up and keep going. Be resolved to finish your reading plan, even if it's not in a year. Be resolved to study the Word of God. Be resolved to read your Bible daily in a specific time of the day or before specific activities. It's a regular discipline, and regular times help with the regular discipline. And I know there's times in life where uh, that regular reading time is really difficult, like if you're taking care of infants or young children. And so if you are in a unique season like that, where your schedule is topsy-turvy all the time, then make a commitment to not do other acts of leisure until you've read your Bible. So don't watch TV until you've read your Bible. Don't scroll through Instagram until you've read your Bible. If reading is difficult for you, if you fall asleep every time you sit down, and as I get older, I'm realizing that's a thing, uh, then read out loud. Read standing up. Read with your spouse out loud. Listen to an audio Bible. I love listening to my Bible on the ESV app on my phone when I'm in my car. It's a wonderful way uh, to fill your time with the Word of God. Read through whole books of the Bible. It is such a wonderful thing to start in a book and slowly and methodically work your way through a whole book of the Bible. Don't jump around and skip around. And don't spend all your time in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are wonderful, and they should be studied. But often, we can use the Psalms kind of like a light devotional, where we just jump in and then don't ever do anything else. So study other books of the Bible. Doing this allows you to see the historical context, the author's intent, God's message to the audience as, uh, through the author. It's okay to go slow and read your Bible methodically, but do it continually and daily. Lastly, join a Bible study if you haven't done so, 
Or if you are in a Bible study, then use that Bible study as the tool to regularly be reading through the Word of God. Many of us who are in men's or women's Bible studies are in New Testament epistles or letters, and you can easily read through that in one setting. So read through your text every week. You'll be amazed what, you, what you'll find. You don't think, you think like, I'll just read the same thing over and over again. You'll be amazed what you'll find. Many of you are doing this already, and you're an inspiration to me in your commitment. Friends, the path to renewal and a continual fellowship with our God is regularly to be found in his word. But Ezra doesn't just resolve to know the word of God. He actually wants to go deeper and actually obey what he's, what he's studying. And so Ezra, next, is resolved to obey what he has studied. He is resolved to obey what he studied. He's determined to not only study the scriptures, but then to be shaped and molded by what he's studying. There's really a quick turnaround from his study to his obedience. And Ezra, again, is going to Jerusalem to help them bring back right living. And if he, how is he going to impact others if he's not being impacted by the word of God himself? It's, it's kind of embarrassing to say this, friends, but if because it's so simple. But if we read our Bibles in the morning and we go to church on Sunday, and we go to Bible study, but we never actually apply any of those things that we're studying about, we've gained nothing. Absolutely nothing. James makes this distinction very clear to another dispersed group of Christians. He says in James 1, through 25, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James gives us this wonderful picture of what it looks like to study and not obey. It's like looking at a mirror to make sure everything's in order, and you realize you've got stuff hanging in your teeth, your hair's all a mess, and you just go, eh, and just keep going. You wouldn't do that. <coughs> Excuse me. You wouldn't do that. And that's what it's like when we look into God's word, but we don't actually obey. See, the word of God reveals the content of our heart. It shows us areas that need to be addressed. That's the wonderful and also the hard thing about studying the Bible. Because you see areas in your life that need to change, that need to be addressed. The Bible exposes that. But to those of you who are faithfully studying the Word of God, verse 25 is a wonderful encouragement. Friends, if you are following Christ and you are studying the Word of God, not perfectly, but faithfully, verse 25 of James says that you are blessed. You have God's providential favor on your life. Warren Worsby Uh, a pastor who I enjoy reading, says this about this text in Ezra. He says, If our knowledge of truth doesn't result in obedience, we end up with a big head instead of a burning heart. And truth becomes a toy that we play with and not a tool to build with. And instead of building our Christian character, we only deceive ourselves and we try to deceive others. I find that really interesting. If there's sin in our heart, We often will deceive ourselves and try to deceive others. So how can we apply what we study in 2024? I think you all know how to apply things to your life, but one way that's really helpful 
is to just have regular questions that you always go to when you're reading the Bible. Always have regular questions that you're always thinking through, and you can write them in a journal as you're reading, or by the time you do, you'll have them memorized, but questions that help you apply the scriptures to your life. Here are a few just to give you an idea if, if you haven't done this already. This is from a really helpful book called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. It's a really practical book on how to study the Bible. He says this in his section on application. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? And is there a challenge to face? Questions like that are really helpful, and that takes black and white letters on a page and actually gets them into our minds and in our hearts. The last of Ezra's resolve, which is what I find the most incredible, (coughs) is also one that I must confess I struggle with at times, have struggled with in my life, uh, and that is he's resolved to teach others. And that sounds kind of silly because I'm up here preaching in front of you. Uh, But there's been times in my life where I've been quite content to study the Word of God and find its truth and be happy about it and just want to go to bed and be content with my little life and not have to really talk to anybody else about it. But that's not what God would have us do. That is not what God would have faithful followers do. The Lord would have His people resolve to not only have a personal love for the Word, but to teach those truths to others. And so Ezra is resolved, and this resolve applies to every part. He's resolved to study the law of God. He's resolved to obey, and he's resolved to teach it with others. And the order is really important there, because if you resolve to teach without study, then you're probably teaching error. And if you resolve only to study and not apply, then, or if you never apply what you study, then you're probably a hypocrite. So the order is really important. He studies, he obeys, and he teaches. This is what Israel Israel needed most to be restored in a right relationship with the Lord. They needed to be faithfully taught how to follow God. Because remember, many of them didn't know how to follow the Lord anymore. And if you read Ezra, you see some major problems that is going on in the people of Israel that had to be addressed. And there's some humility here on Ezra's part. And I want us to see this. In some sense, Ezra is in a class all of his own. He comes from a very prestigious family line. He's been working closely with the royal house. He seems, the text indicates that he's extremely intelligent. Most men of this stature would not want to take on the hard work of teaching a dysfunctional group of people the word of God, but would rather instead be reserved to their study with their books and their scrolls and be quite content to be by themselves. But that is not what we're called to do as Christians. The, the, the work of the Lord does extraordinary things in a person's life. It calls us to do hard things. And so Ezra's resolve is just as deep to study God's word as it is to teach others. He passionately wants to know the word of God, and he has that same resolve to teach it to others. And this is not an exhortation to be in full-time ministry or to be a scholar like Ezra. But every Christian is called to be a teacher of the gospel, of the word of God. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You all know it very well. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul also gives this instruction to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he says to Timothy, And what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you see that pattern of, of training others to equip others to equip others. Ephesians 4 also talks about this. So how can you have a resolve to teach God's word in 2024? You say, like, I'm not a Bible study teacher. My kids are grown up. What do I do? Well, if you have kids or if your kids are grown up, I think the easiest way to teach the Bible is to teach it to children. We have a tremendous opportunity in this church to be teachers of the word of God to children. Parents, resolve to have regular quiet times or regular family devotions with your kids. And this is something that I'm always growing in. Don't do it perfectly, but things like Nancy Guthrie's book, Dinner Time Devotions, has been really helpful for our family. Uh, It's just short little devotionals to get conversations going around the dinner table. I love it. Often provides fodder for really good conversation. Be resolved to teach your kids the words of God. Use the Adventure Club verses as a springboard for discussions with your kids. Make a commitment. Maybe you don't have kids in your house, but make a commitment to be zealous about children's ministry this year. Many of you do this already, but don't shrug off. Or You're in children's ministry. I want to encourage you. Don't shrug off your, your responsibility to teaching young kids as unimportant or not really that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It's a wonderful opportunity. I want to encourage you, put in effort. Be creative in finding ways to connect these little minds with the God of the universe. It's an incredible challenge and a wonderful opportunity. I can personally testify to the fruit that comes from this church and people pouring into their lives in the children's ministry. On Sundays, I us- we usually have Sunday supper at our house, which is usually snacks and popcorn. And during that time, Alice and I will ask our kids, what did you hear Pastor Dave say in the sermon? And that often will bring some pretty comical things. It's usually whatever was the most extreme illustration that he gave. If there was one with fighting and blood, I definitely hear about that one a lot from my boys. And then we'll ask them about Sunday school. And it's incredible. They will often outline from beginning to end every detail of the Bible story and the Bible lesson that they were taught. It's incredible. And, and that's just young minds being, being little sponges that take in information. They will, they will, in great detail, describe everything they talked about and the application to our lives and what the overall lesson was. It's phenomenal. It's wonderful. I love being the the shepherd of my household. I love teaching my kids the Bible, but I treasure knowing that there's people in this church who love my kids and want to teach them the word of God and connect them with the scriptures. If you haven't done so or haven't done in a while, children's ministry is a wonderful opportunity to teach the word of God. Kids, I'm actually glad that the kids are in here today. This sermon is for you too. I want to see your eyeballs. Kids, Show me your eyes. What's up, Walker? I see you over there. You're sitting there like, I'm five. I'm not a teacher. Uh, You're not five, Walker. I know you're older than that. 
What do I do? Well, like I said, your minds are little sponges, little mushy sponges, and you soak up lots of information. You can be resolved right now to learn and commit yourself to learn as much as you can right now, knowing that one day the Lord is going to call on you to be a teacher to other people, either to your own families or your church or your neighborhoods or anything. And kids, you can read the Bible too. You can read the New Testament in a year. You can read Bible plans. You can read a paragraph a day. This sermon is for you too. Other ways we can teach the Word of God. Students, adults, invite someone to Bible study and then regularly check in on them. Help them understand what's going on in the study. Adopt them. Do a pre-Bible study with them every week and work through the text with them. Find someone and ask them if you want to study the Bible together, just one-on-one. College students, this is a great opportunity for you guys in the college ministry. I read an article that's pretty interesting about young uh, I don't know, Gen Z, I don't know what age of Gen Z is right now. Teenagers in college, I should know. How there's a unique curiosity in spiritual things among young people right now. Use that. Invite them to study the Word of God. My love for the Word of God uh, started with an older man being willing to meet with me before school on a Friday morning and study the Bible together over breakfast. And you know what we did? We read through the yearly Bible together, and he, we would talk about it, and then he would help me understand the parts that I didn't understand. And it wasn't flashy, it wasn't always big aha moments, but it, ins- it instilled in me a love for the Word of God. You can do that with someone else. Friends, God is calling us to, have, to be men and women of the Word. That is the calling in Ezra's life. It's not, for past, it's not just for pastors, for Bible study leaders, for those who are pursuing counseling training. It's the call for every blood-bought daughter and son of the king to saturate their life with the word of God. And then that spills over into other people's lives. And really, these three resolutions are lifestyle changing. They really are. Uh, the biggest excuses to reading the Bible and saying the Bible is, I'm too tired, I'm too busy. And I've often used that excuse myself, unfortunately. Uh, but if we can embrace these foundational resolutions, it simplifies those things in, in an incredible way. We don't have to be ruled by these tyrannical, urgent things that we often think are so important. And it really can make a huge difference in your life. So you don't have to sign up for that traveling sports team if it's going to affect your relationship with the Lord. You don't have to actually go to that extra practice. You don't have to work overtime every week, even though it's nice to have the extra money. You don't have to sign up for that club. You don't have to, your house doesn't have to look like a magazine cover every week. Your kids can wait 15 more minutes for breakfast. You don't have to renew that subscription to that streaming platform. You don't have to answer all those emails today. You don't have to answer all those texts. You don't have to listen to that podcast or watch that TV program. What's more important to any of these things, and none of them are bad, is that we pursue the Lord through his word. This is the resolve that God honors in the life of Ezra. And if you flip to the right, just a few pages, to the book of Nehemiah, 
you actually see the fruit of this resolve. It's pretty neat. Ezra ministers and teaches for 13 years before Nehemiah arrives. 13 long years. A lot of hard conversations were had. A lot of hard things were done. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, you start to see the word of God working in people's lives. And they gather and come together to read the scriptures. And they invite Ezra to come and to read the scriptures. And if you were to read through chapter 8, you would see that Ezra comes and he reads for hours. It says from early morning till midday. And the people are intent and they're listening. And, his, and Ezra's disciples and his students are walking among the people and they're helping them understand what Ezra is reading and what he's teaching. And people begin to weep over their sin. They begin to rejoice in the Lord. And one, a, a huge revival breaks out in the people of Israel. And verse 12 ends this really well. It says in chapter 8, verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. For the first time, there was rejoicing back with the people of God in the place of God. And why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. Friends, there is a incredible transformation that can happen when we understand the word of God. We have that opportunity. So in 2024, be defined as a person of the word of God. Commit yourself to study, to apply, and to teach. And just see what the Lord will do this year in your life and in those around you. It can be pretty incredible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is, um, it reaches to the hearts and the joint and the marrow. And it doesn't only show us who you are and what you've done, but it shows us how we are to live, how we can follow, and how we can worship you. It is for all of life. And God, we, I confess in my own life that, we off, that I often let other things crowd that out. And so, Lord, I pray that this year we would be resolved to be men and women of the word, that we, would, that we would learn these truths and that we would actually be, our lives would be changed by them. And that we wouldn't keep that truth to ourselves, but that we would share it and teach it to others. And Lord, I pray that through those efforts, you would bring revival to people in this church, to uh, Emporia, to Lyon County, to the surrounding counties. And Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work through your word and it would not return void. In your name I pray, amen.